Hello, and welcome to the IBCD Care Discipleship Podcast. Uh, my name is Bob Galsberg. Uh, I am the Director of Operations for IBCD, and I'm with Anne Marie, who is the Director of Communications and Content. Joining us today for this podcast is Greg Gifford. Greg, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Why don't you just start off by uh, giving us uh, uh, your background, uh, sure. where you're at right now, what you're doing uh, in life, and we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. A big picture is that I'm from Savannah, Georgia. I'm an East Coast guy. was born in Amarillo, Texas, but raised in Georgia, so claimed Georgia. That's where my wife is from as well. Uh, an interesting fact about us is that we met in ninth grade and dated throughout high school and our childhood sweethearts. So Wow. And we have that in common as well. Do you? Yeah. It's a rarity yeah. these days. Mm-hmm. It is. I say all that because uh, married, two kids at this point, uh, both from Georgia, intermingled in all of that is uh, training and biblical counseling. Started that in my undergraduate and then uh, did some time in the military. After military, uh, started to really get more into biblical counseling, went back to Master's University to be trained. And at that point, uh, Master's was the top priority for me to go and attend. And I didn't know that that was going to be how the Lord would open doors for me to serve vocationally, too. So now I'm done with my education, but back at master's teaching biblical counseling at the undergraduate level. So um, somewhat a circuitous route, but in California from Georgia, serving full time as a professor of biblical counseling at master's university. And is there a group of professors at at Masters? Yeah, there is. There's, um, you know, Dr. Neuheiser used to be an adjunct for us before he went to the East Coast. Uh, Dr. Stuart Scott is another of the professors out there, and Dr. John Street. Those are the full-time guys. Uh, Both of them teach the graduate versions of biblical counseling, so we have a master's degree that's offered in different modes or modalities. And then we have an undergraduate, which I teach for the traditional or the residential students, and then you guys probably know Dr. Ernie Baker, yes. mm-hmm. but he chairs the online degree for the biblical counseling. And you're a pastor as well, right? I am. I moonlight as a pastor. I tell everyone <laughs> that. That's, that's my uh, part-time gig. And the reason why that's important is because biblical counseling is such that it would be really hard to just teach it and to not practice it. Yeah, more. theory would be very difficult. Yeah, that would be a punishment for me. Yeah to just make me teach it and not be able to get to do it. Yeah, and I suppose it goes the other way. Past preaching without soul care is probably difficult as well because... For me so, it is. Yeah, yeah soul care informs your preaching. That's right, yeah. or it should. Yeah. You sure. know, the, the shepherding aspect. So your preaching is just one aspect of your shepherding. And another aspect is that individual private ministry that you'll have with a person, so... I'm an associate pastor at Faith Community Church in Newhall and primarily do counseling and life groups there. So tell me a little bit more about biblical counseling at Masters. Uh, and Is it similar to other programs across, or is there any distinctives that, that Masters might have? Yeah, sure. Um, I love that question because it, I'm beaming with joy about what Masters gets to do. This is our 27th year of teaching it. And if you rewind the clock 27 years, you recognize that it wasn't really popular 27 years ago. But what took place is that Dr. MacArthur came to the conclusion that biblical counseling was the way that we should best minister to people and totally shifted the school away from an integrationist perspective towards sufficiency of Scripture. And he did that in a time when it wasn't really popular. So if we're talking mid-90s, we're saying that 
there wasn't five other institutions doing the same thing, that he was really trailblazing something. Mm -hmm. And what he believed is that the scriptures had the answers to the problems that we face. And so he brought in a couple of guys to help make that transition, Dr. Bob Smith and Dr. Wayne Mack. Yeah. And I'm just maybe two or three professors removed from those guys. And so now we look back and think, man, those are some of the leaders in the biblical counseling movement. Well, those guys started the programs at Masters for us 20-something years ago. It was a great foundation. Amen. It's a bit intimidating now because, you know, we're still using some of their texts. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I feel like a nobody here referring back to the Bob Smiths and Wayne Macks of the world, having my students read them. But I bring that up because Masters has had a long-term commitment to the sufficiency of Scripture. And I wrote an article recently uh, for Masters, and we just talked about why that is. And ultimately, it's because we believe in God's Word. We believe that God's Word is superior. So whatever you're calling it, uh, if we're calling it biblical counseling, we're calling it soul care, that's a term that we're starting to hear used. We believe that God's Word has the answers to the problems that we face. And, and now that's across the board. So it's not like a pocket of professors or there's two professors. It's like the culture of Masters is one that believes Amen. in the sufficiency of Scripture. And it's, and it's good to come into a program that where you can actually stand on somebody else's shoulders. But I imagine you're, you're, you're probably thinking about how do you how do you move it forward? Are, right. are there other ide thoughts or ideas you have about yeah. maybe where Masters is today versus you know where you think you'd like to see it go? Sure, I, I think that Masters in many ways has been the tip of the spear when it comes to education and biblical counseling. But uh, in order to continue to be at the tip of that spear, it's going to take work. So, for instance, RTS, as you know, teaches yeah. it. There are three or four Southern Baptist institutions. There are independent Baptists. There's Presbyterian that are all teaching biblical counseling. So part of the question that we keep asking ourselves, well, what is distinctive about Masters? You know, why would you go to Masters? And so one of those distinctives is that we've continued to try to maintain the partnership that we have with ACBC. So really there's a success for both organizations that, a student who comes and does a degree with us will leave either ACBC certified or they can pursue it immediately upon completion. So they'll have all of the coursework, um, the training, the observation by the time they're done. Yeah, that's right. And that's part of their curriculum at Masters. Mm -hmm. So it's really two birds, one stone for our, our graduate students. And then for our undergraduate students, we take them all the way to the point of their internships with the ACBC process. So post-graduation, if they want to pursue internships, they've met all the other requirements that they need to meet. That's significant, and that's one of the distinctives that we've tried to maintain. And some of the next are just wanting to advance the conversation for how do we teach this model and continue to teach this model. Uh, you know, there until recently have been almost no textbooks that we can use. Like think of before Heath Lambert's Theology of Biblical Counseling, we were using a text that's 30 years old, mm -hmm. Theology of Christian Counseling. That's right. So Masters, in many ways, has contributed to that conversation. In 2005, we collectively wrote a book called Counsel, How to Counsel Biblically. And through that, it was Wayne Mack, David Pallison, John MacArthur, all making contributions towards how do we actually do this work of counseling. But there's still work to be done on that. So Masters is seeking to help write and fill some of those needs. And one of the particular ways we've hoped to advance is also a journal that we started. And a journal is kind of boring to the uh, person in the counseling room, to just be candid. The counselee doesn't care a whole lot about journal articles. But the counselors do. Some counselors <laughs> do, right? There's a place for it. Yeah. But what we will see within any field is that you can direct the conversation of that field through the literature and through the books and through the resources. Mm -hmm. 
And a journal often can be a place where you're directing conversations, you're starting conversations. We've used the idea of upstream conversations that will trickle their way downstream. The goal that Masters has next is to help solidify an upstream conversation that will trickle its way down to the counseling room. Because explain that further, because you know, one of the thoughts I had in the back of my head was there are other journals out there, and sure. there are other counseling journals journals out there. So this sounds like something that is a little bit different maybe than the yeah. the, the normal That's journal right. that we're used to. That's right. So first of all, the title of it is the Journal of Biblical Soul Care, which doesn't really sell you on what it's hoping to accomplish. But our goal is to advance the conversation. So we're actually trying to equip educators of biblical counseling. That means that when you read this, you're not going to read an article on how to help someone with anxiety. It's going to be the questions of, well, what is anxiety? Why would you help someone with anxiety? So the ideological, theoretical, theological principles that undergird anxiety, that's what we're going to write about in this journal, not the how-tos. And so there are other journals and resources that are filling a lot of that how-to space. So let me just see if I understand. If I read the journal, I got the journal, I'd understand the, the underlying um, reasons for anxiety. Is, are we able to then take what you have in the journal and connect it, or would we, you expect us to either know that or go to yeah, other that's places right. for that? That's right. So as we're writing to the educators, mm -hmm. we're saying, educator, you now take that downstream to the counseling room. Okay. But if we can help, for instance, solidify how you view common grace, well, that's going to affect the way that you counsel and don't counsel. If, if we can solidify the way that you view the covenant of marriage, one of the authors right now is working on how we view the covenant of marriage. Well, that's going to affect how you downstream practice marriage counseling. So the theology behind it, not only what we would normally call doctrine, but right. theology of how we view some of these other issues in the biblical counseling. Right. Right? The journal article behind the popular level article. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so that's why I say it's kind of boring to popular interests yeah. because... Many times we just want to know, hey, how do I do this thing? give me thing? the 10 steps. Tell me how I do this. But we also need people thinking well about why you do that. Right. There's a danger that lies right before us, and it's that if we're not cautious. We're going to focus too much on methodology mm -hmm. and not enough on the Bible, not enough on the biblical principles upon which we should develop our methodology. Mm -hmm. So what can take place is we could actually weaken our methodology by an overemphasis on that methodology. No, that's great. That's a good idea. And that's the beauty, I think, of biblical counseling in general. And I think you're just taking, it sounds like you're just taking it a step further. So biblical counseling founded on the, the Word of God and, and the theological truths that we right. know from the Word of God. Um, and then you're going to take this further into talking about these other issues. So, right. yeah, that's yep. very good. The goal is to now shift not towards just the counselor, but it's the trainer of counselors mm -hmm. and the educator of counselors. Yeah, I think that really does set you apart from the other journal art, journals and the way we use those as counselors. So. Yeah, we think that too. So if somebody were interested in the journal, they would just go online at the Masters? Sure. University. You would go to www.masters.edu backslash JBSC. Okay. And you could just Google the Journal of Biblical Soul Care and what will come up is a simple registration form, and it is sent to your email. And it's free. Free, no oh, cost. Beautiful. No cost. Okay. So, yep, all the volumes are posted there and archived, so totally free resource. And how many are you in? How many have you done so far? This, we're on our third now. Okay. The third will be posted in October. And you're doing how many a year? We're doing it twice a year. Twice a year. Okay. I want to switch directions uh, a little bit. Um, 
you know, as I was looking over some of your history, um, one of the questions that came up in your history is, did I make the right decision? Yeah. And um, I found it very fascinating. I uh, thought maybe you could just share with the audience about that. Sure. Um, so I think the context is an article that was written about me at Masters. And uh, in the interview, what was taking place is I was being asked about, should I leave the military? Should I stay in the military? Did I make the right decision to get out? And originally in that context, I'm saying that when you think of making the right decision to get out of the military, I've tried to portray my perspective and then answer that I think I did make the right decision. Um, I was at a point in the military to where I had done my commitment, my active duty commitment. I had accomplished what I wanted to accomplish and set out to serve and to serve overseas, uh, to become a veteran, to just get some of the leadership experience that comes with that. I had gotten help to pursue further education through different resources that the military offers. So when I got to that point at the end of my military commitment, I had a choice really to make a career of this or to take a kind of distinct shift away from it. So in that point, I knew that that would be a good investment of my time and energy to stay in the military, but I wanted to have a more direct impact in a ministry capacity. I wasn't serving as a chaplain. I wasn't chaplain's assistant or anything like that. I was a, a signal captain. So I decided to pivot away from the military and to move towards further training and biblical counseling. And so at, at the time, I had no idea how the Lord would use that. I had no connections at Masters. I was just going there as a student. Um, I knew that I could have easily invested many years of my life into the military and made a contribution, but at the end of the day, I wanted to separate and I wanted to serve the Lord in a different capacity. So I did, and looking back, I can just see God's hand slowly working and orchestrating to bring me to the current ministries that I'm in. Yeah, and that's the part I found fascinating because Emory and I are embarking on this next chapter, getting more involved with IBCD, biblical counseling, leaving you know the, the corporate world uh, for ministry. You know, it's always good to remind ourselves that um, we don't know necessarily what the future holds, sure. but we see the God's hand in every step as we as we look back on it, and we can trust in this uh, in His hand providing uh, the way forward uh, yeah, as we go I forward. That. And then. There's a sense in which the principles of biblical counseling have informed the way that I make decisions. Mm -hmm. And I've seen myself looking back in the counseling room using those same analogies on myself and saying, here's, here's biblical principles of decision making, Greg. Are you going to do what God calls you to do here? Yeah, isn't that interesting? We were talking the other day about a biblical framework for how to think about even taking on IBCD and reminded ourselves of some basic counseling foundational thoughts mm -hmm. quit looking at the circumstances mm -hmm. it's not about the circumstances right. it's, are you called are you supposed to be doing this that's right so yeah it's it's funny a biblical counseling framework for life <laughs> well i mean i always think that the best counselor is the one that's been impacted by the things they teach and so there's there's a sense in which i think we're impacted yep. by the same things we're communicating in the counseling room yeah yeah and as we think about the future as well you know we can get we, we don't know how things are going to work out or how they're going to how, how they're going to progress and as Anne Marie and I think about IBCD going forward it's 
you know, we just need to trust the Lord that he has us on this path and he will take care of the steps. Gosh. He will He will order our steps. Amen to that. So that's, that's good. But you did leave Savannah. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, that's, so, that's never an easy. That. And there's a very distinct difference between Santa Clarita, California really? <laughs> and Savannah, Georgia. So That is one of our favorite places. So It's a lovely place. I, the way that I describe it for people is that Masters is worth it. Okay. The environment, the ministry that I have out there at the church and at the school. It's just a, a wonderful thing. So the environment of our students at Masters, it's, it's a really sweet place to be. So as a, a pastor and a biblical counselor, um, do you have a favorite passage or do you have a passage that just speaks to a number of sure. situations that yeah, you, sure. you deal with? You know, it, it, I just got done saying that it seems like a lot of the biblical decision-making guidelines uh, when I've made vocational choices that those have impacted me personally. And this verse also has been one that's been very impactful. So I'm a man who always struggles to select favorites. I don't know why. I think it's because I overthink everything. <laughs> but I'm I'm thinking about ones that I use regularly. And this is definitely a passage that I use regularly. It's Psalm 131. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. That passage has been so helpful in many occasions to settle individuals to occupy themselves with what is theirs and to not occupy themselves with things that are too great and too marvelous. Oftentimes I can take someone there and they get it. They get that they are doing that work of occupying themselves with something that's not theirs. It's too great and too marvelous. So when they see that analogy, it really clicks for them that I have been doing that. Thus, I'm anxious, some fearful, some discouraged. Thus, maybe I'm not responding faithfully in this time. So what we're saying is it's almost like, hey, will you, will you just focus on your faithful response toward these things and not lift your eyes up? The New American Standard even uses the idea of being haughty or prideful when it talks about lifting your eyes up. So this passage has become very dear because what it, it helps illustrate is the importance of quieting yourself and the Lord and entrusting to Him certain things that are your concerns, but they're not your responsibilities. Amen. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, sure. It's been a pleasure getting to know you, getting to know Masters and the work you're doing there. Thankful for that. Good to be here. Thank you guys for this opportunity. So thanks for taking interest in some of the things that we've been working on at Masters too. That's important. But appreciate the work that you guys are doing as well. So that ends uh, this uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, for more information and resources, you can visit ibcd.org or download the app.